I don't use this word lightly, but I'm hyped to be here. I love um, coming to the Highlands. Uh, it's it's so fun uh, for me to be here. Uh, I have been a part of our network of churches long enough that I got the chance to be at um, the first service in the Delano Elementary School and to watch the ingenuity of people had to figure out how to like hang these boxes to cover the light in the elementary so that what was on the screen could like be visible to people and the light wouldn't shine. It was, it was a whole thing um, and that was years ago and it was it's fun to um, anytime I get to come out here and, and be out here. Um, like Rich said, I'm a part of our network of churches. If you didn't know that you're a part of a network of churches, you are and it's awesome. Um, it's a little one. Uh, I'm the pastor at Mercy Hill in Minnetonka and then we also have Woodridge um, in Medina, uh, Mercy Hill is a year younger than Highlands, so it, we're about to celebrate um, an anniversary along with you here at Easter, and then Woodridge is about 20, 25 years older than, um, than both of our churches. Um, one of the things I think is great about our network of churches is the, the kind of the independence, right? Like, it's not sort of top-down and hierarchical and, like, nobody tells us what to do. Um, Aaron and I probably couldn't survive in an environment where we were telling each other what to do. Um, but one of the other things that's great about that is then we get to choose to be together. And one of the choices of being together that I celebrate absolutely the most in our network is this time of year because our high school pastors have chosen to sync up with each other and run this retreat together. And they've been doing it for years. And this year they're at Trout Lake. Um, I texted all of them this morning and asked for a picture. And this is what I got. Brody's the only one who replied to my text. So in my opinion, today he's the best youth pastor because he <laughs> came through for me. Um, but th this is them playing, I think, two different um, courts of broomball up at Trout Lake Camp. Uh, and I just, I think it's, it's so awesome. Uh, that they that they choose to be together, that they trade off on who's running logistics, who's planning the games, who's teaching and preaching, and that all of our students, whether it's in Delano or in Minnetonka or in Medina, that they get to experience the reality that following Jesus is a team sport and that following Jesus is bigger than just what is happening in their little corner of the universe. I think for me, when I was in high school, this would have been an amazing experience for me. And I'm so thankful um, for our youth pastors and for all of our volunteers and for all of the hard work that they're up to. So rather than kind of give you an update about my family today, I wanted to give you an update about what's going on with our family um, in our network of churches and what God is doing. So uh, today what I want to talk to you about is hope. Um, your time, your energy, your attention, and your money can reveal your hope because they point you to your reason for being. Now, not the reason for being that you say with your mouth, but the reason for being that shows up in your time and your energy and your attention and your money. And your reason for being helps to reveal your hope. We're in this sermon series that we're, we're calling um, Out of the Overflow of the Heart, the Mouth Speaks. Um, it comes from this verse that used to be translated for that. I, was name, I named the series 
And when I read the Bible back when I was a kid, this is what the verse used to be said, but now it says this, because it was written in Greek originally, and so there are different ways of translating Greek, and that's one English way of translating what Jesus says. Here's another more updated way of saying it in Luke chapter 6. It says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or what I prefer, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the question that I have for us today is what is our mouth speaking when we reflect on the hope that is deep inside our hearts? And if you're curious about what your hope is on a heart level, you can look at what you're saying. But I also think that you can look at what is getting your time and your attention and your energy and your money and your affection. And I guess what I want to say to you all who are either tuning into a church service or are here in this room and probably also spend a considerable amount of time in those rooms over there or in this space out here serving and sacrificing for this community of people is that Jesus Christ and this community of believers is something that gets your time and your energy and your attention and your money. But for some reason... For some reason, while all of that is true, for most of us, when it comes to speaking out the name of Jesus as the hope that we have, or talking about what it means to organize around Jesus as a church, or to particularly organize around Jesus in this this place, in this time in human history, at a church called the Highlands, for whatever reason... That hope, while it's deep in our hearts, I don't think comes out of our mouths. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of challenge you in that. I want to challenge me in that. I want to diagnose it a little bit. I want to suggest that there are things that are going on for us culturally and things that have happened in terms of talking about Jesus over the last 20, 30 years that are are maybe barriers And then I want to talk to us about what does it look like to cultivate that hope so that it it, it, it bubbles up to overflowing. I think that if I did something that I love to do all the time, I would shake a can of pop and I would open it and I would just let it explode. I love that. I would never say that at Mercy Hill because I wouldn't want to give those kids any ideas, but I'm not there today. (laughs) If you've never done that, oh my goodness. For your parents' sake, or your wife's sake, or your husband's sake, go in the shower. <laughs> Just or even a can. You ever done it? You probably haven't done it with a can. You've only done it with a bottle. It's just it's just so fun to watch it explode. And one of the things I love about retreats, about getting away and focusing on Jesus, is it's like one of those things where it just shakes it up and it just explodes, right? So what does it look like for us to just kind of like agitate our hearts in a good way so that we're bubbling up to overflowing? And, I, and, and what I want to point you to is I think, I think that one place for the answer to that is in God's story in the Bible. And in particular, a letter that a follower of Jesus named Peter wrote 
to a group of Christians. And the letter is, is very boringly titled, First Peter. They weren't into branding. They weren't into marketing back in the Bible. And so a lot of the titles are boring, all right? I mean, it's just like, so it's just called First Peter, the second letter, Second Peter. It's, it's a bummer. But what I want to suggest to you is that there is this hope, but it isn't coming out. And God desperately wants it to come out. This is, this is what Peter says in 1 Peter um, chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Because he's talking to this group of Christians, and he's saying the hope wants to come out. And the way that God has designed the world is that there are people who God wants the hope to get communicated to. And, the, and God's strategy for communicating the hope of Jesus Christ is to spread all of us out so that every nook and cranny of human existence and every personality type and every sports team affiliation is just absolutely covered with the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's hard to believe that, but that's God, the God's plan is so that all of these, every single one of us becomes an instrument of this hope. And that as it gets agitated in our hearts, as we get filled up to overflowing, then it comes out into the world and it makes this tremendous impact as God's great love intersects with the world's great need. That's what's happened to me. That's what's happened to a lot of you. And we get an opportunity to be an, an instrument of that hope. And a lot of the things that we think would disqualify us actually don't disqualify us. A lot of things that we think about our story and about our past or even, even our present, like our past from hours ago, we think, oh, that should disqualify me. But Peter, even in writing this, becomes an example to us that this isn't about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus. I think the cross at Woodridge is over there. And so I, gotta, I always got to acclimate myself. Hell is that wall, guys. Jesus is. The good news is always here. Um, Anyway, I'll get it. I'll get it. Um, the, the reality is with Peter, so Peter's like, Jesus, I love you more than anybody else. And he's like, okay. And then he goes, I could do anything you could do, which, you know, it's bold confidence, love it, exciting. Jesus knows that he's going to die a death that only he can die because he's lived a perfect life that only he can live because he's a human being and he's also God. He's a human being and he's also God and so he can live this perfect life and die this death that we deserve so that we can live and have the eternal life that only belongs to him. But he gives us what is his. And Peter can't do that. But Peter has like a rational confidence guy, right? He's like the kid who's like, I'm going to take the three. I don't care. You know, I'm double teamed, whatever. I'm taking it. I'm that guy. I got it. I shouldn't take it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that's Peter. And, and Jesus says to him, like, you can't walk the road that I'm walking. And not only that, you're going to actually deny me three times the day that I'm arrested. And so that's what happens. Jesus, Peter, Peter says that he'll go anywhere and he'll do anything. And then when confronted with the opportunity to tell people if he is aligned with Jesus, if he is loyal to Jesus, if Jesus really is the hope that he has, if Jesus is the reason for the season for Peter, then he's asked by a young girl in a society where girls didn't matter as much than boys and kids didn't matter at all. Just a, truly a nobody, a nothing. I'm a big, like I have a 10-year-old daughter. Girls are great, right? Don't hear me saying this. 
but this is like 2,000 years ago, Judean cultural ethics, right? But just the, the absolute smallest kind of person that could ask Peter this challenging question, do you belong to Jesus? And what does he say? I don't even know him. Again, are you aligned with Jesus? Are you one of his disciples? No, I'm not his disciple. You look like you're from that same part of town. Why would you be here hundreds of miles away in Jerusalem? He's from there. You're from there. You must know him. No, I don't know him. And at a critical moment in Peter's life, when he says that he could do anything and go anywhere and be anyone for Jesus, he abandons Jesus. I don't know if you've ever done that because you wanted to fit in. I was like the king of that in middle school. I was, I was so desperate to fit in. I so wanted to be like everyone else. I didn't want to be great. I didn't want to be bad. I just wanted to like be in the middle. I wanted to just kind of fit in and blend in and get through it. And the reality is that impacted the way that I looked at my relationship with Jesus. Because the better I understood Jesus, the more I understood that the way of Jesus was different. The way of Jesus was peculiar. It was good peculiar, but it was still peculiar and I didn't want to be different. Peter didn't want to be different. And then Jesus dies and all hope is lost. And the last thing that Jesus said to Peter is, you're going to bail on me three times. And that's exactly what he does. Can you imagine the gut punch that that would be? But then Jesus doesn't stay dead. Because he's a human being and he's God. And he's more powerful than death because he's more powerful than sin. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus when he is our Lord. And so Jesus shows back up in Peter's life. And this is what I love. Many, many things I love about God. But one of the things I love about God is his tender mercy to us when we know that we failed. He takes Peter aside and he gently and he thoroughly restores him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Why three times? Because Peter had bailed on Jesus three times. And so for the rest of Peter's life, Jesus knows, Peter knows that he's been restored by Jesus those same three times. And so what actually ends up happening in Peter's life? Who becomes a pillar of the early church. He becomes a man who writes letters of challenge and encouragement to other Christians. He ultimately becomes someone who will die a death similar to Jesus because of his passionate loyalty to Jesus. Where does that come from for Peter? It comes from Jesus' death and his resurrection. It comes from the power that's made available to Peter, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's at work in him now. It came from the reality that he has a hope deep into his heart and long into his future that continues to be agitated over and over and over again so that it is overflowing. This is what he says in chapter 3 of his first letter. But in your hearts... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he goes on and he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed 
of their slander. Now, I grew up in the church. I became a follower of Jesus when I was six years old. For a long time in middle school and high school, I decided that that wasn't a very good story and that that was actually kind of an embarrassing thing. But as I have gotten older, I have come to treasure my story of following Jesus and the moment that I prayed that prayer with my dad in a parking lot. I've, 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 I've come to really cling to that and lean on that. I used to be embarrassed about youth group. I had this experience once where we were on a mission trip and, um, and the, the, the guy who was playing the guitar, the, the Brian, um, the worship guy, was, he goes, I have this sense that there are people in this room that are being called into full-time vocational ministry. Now, I grew up going to tons of church stuff, okay? So I, I've, I've, I know this bit, right? I know the, the, the altar call thing. I'm familiar with the technique. I know all about it, okay? And I'm not, I'm not confused by it. And I won't be swayed, okay? I've seen a lot of it. My dad is a pastor. My mom's a better Christian than my dad. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's a whole thing, okay? And I will not be swayed by the emotional manipulation. Like if somebody started coming out here and playing music right now for us to try to get you to feel the feelings, no way. I'd tear down the piano. Okay, but this is what happens to me. God breaks into my story. And in that moment of being like, no, no, absolutely not. I will not be manipulated. Boom. God is like, this is what I'm calling you toward. And I'm like, no, no, absolutely not. Yep, this is absolutely what I'm calling you toward. I want you to stand. And then for a year, I mean, I, I had like 11 majors in college. None of them were, I'm going to become a pastor. Why? Because God had told me when I was 15 or 16 that that was what he wanted for my life and for my future. And I was like, well, that's going to cause me to stand out and to stick out. And I don't want to do that right? And I would use passages like this. And I'd go, well, you know, we got to do it with gentleness. That's important. We got to do it with respect. That's important. We got to keep a clear conscience. And then it says here that our good behavior is important. So what's really matters is the way that we live our lives. And yes, the way that you live your life is important. Don't hear me say that it isn't. And then I'd say, but what really matters is that we're respectful to people who aren't following Jesus. Absolutely, that's important. Don't hear me say that it's not. And then I'd say, oh, we got to do it with gentleness. Got to make sure that we're gentle. Better to do no harm, right? Like we're all, we all want to be doctors out here, right? Hippocratic oath of talking to people about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Do no harm. Got to do it with gentleness. If you can't be gentle, you maybe don't do it at all. And then I would, I would get to the point where in my own life, in my own story, I would never tell people about the reason for the hope that I had. And I think there are two reasons for that. The second reason for that is that agitation. I don't think that I was doing things in my spiritual life to allow that hope to really get agitated in my life in a way that it would fill to overflowing. And the second, and the first thing, that's the second thing because I want to talk about it second. The first thing is the first thing because I want to talk about it now. The first thing is, I think, secularism. I think that the way that we live in American culture and the things that we have made private and the things that we have made public. And I grew up in a time in American history where we decided that faith needed to become increasingly private. That it was great as long as it was private. Now, this isn't my own idea or my own observation. I went to this sweet conference in Tampa, Florida. I was there for like a day and a half. It was 75 degrees outside. It was also 75 degrees inside because the air conditioner and the church that we were in broke. So it was just hot. 
Um, but the speaker was incredible as this pastor in New York named John Tyson. I didn't know anyone else who was going there. And then I turned around and I saw this sweet hard water hat. I don't know if you've ever seen that hat Brody has. And I almost texted him and was like, hey, there's a guy with this sweet hat that you have. It was Brody. I saw him. <laughs> I saw him the next morning. I saw him and Brian and Aaron um, when they were getting coffee and donuts. We all showed up at the same conference. And I mean, it was about um, forming men. I'm excited about what that's going to do here at the Highlands and at Mercy Hill. But this pastor, John Tyson, was talking about private faith versus public faith. And he said the goal of secularism is to privatize faith. You can believe in your heart whatever you want to believe in your heart. But you can't bring it into the workplace. I have a friend who's a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. And he always warns people. Because people like to joke about going to Eagles games and wearing the opposing team's jersey and so he like and as adults like he I think he, he said to his brother-in-law his brother-in-law is a Vikings fan they were going for a game and he goes listen I'm not I was I've never been joking around about this you guys thought that I was kidding about this but there are people in Philadelphia who will do you real harm if you wear the opposing colors to this team stadium you can believe whatever you want about the Vikings in your heart but don't believe it publicly at Lincoln Financial Field because it's a dangerous place just don't do it, right? And that's what we have done. We have said, it's, you believe whatever you want in your heart, but don't bring it out into the world. Don't make it a public thing. And, and we've kind of been seduced by that. I've been seduced by that. Maybe you haven't. I have been seduced by that. I grew up with this, and I didn't even realize that I was growing up with it. And I became convinced that the things that were important to me, the things that were the most important, the most core about who I was and where I was going, the things that I actually put my hope in that were at the center of my existence, that got my time and my money and my energy and my attention and my affection and my devotion and my perspective on my past, my present, and my future were things that I needed to keep to myself. Well, and then I needed to have some public stuff, right? So then you start to develop other things that you can talk about. But there's this thing that's really important to me that I can't talk about. And then I have to reconcile myself with this passage like 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. And I said, well, you know, it's important to give the reason for the hope that you have. But I guess if somebody asked me that, like verbatim, right? That's, that must be what Peter's talking about. If somebody says to me, can you imagine this happening to, I don't know if you're in seventh grade, imagine this, just journey with me if you're in seventh grade. Somebody comes up to you and the only way you'll talk to them about Jesus is if they absolutely fit in this exact quotation from Peter that was originally written in Greek and is now translated into English and they go, tell me the reason for the hope that you have. No one would say that. No one would talk like that. But they're looking at you and they're going, why, why, do, you, why do you have joy? Why do you have happiness? Why, why can you suffer well? I mean, really, wrapped around these two verses that I'm talking about today are this reality that Peter's saying, like, hey, listen, I hope that you don't suffer, but you might suffer. And even as you suffer, remember this. The God who loves us first and loves us best, he suffered too. He suffered for us. And God brought Jesus through that suffering. And through Jesus, God will bring us through that suffering too. 
But, that, but that's the reason for the hope that you have. And it might be that in that suffering well, that becomes an opportunity for you to display that suffering well. And so I've just, I've kind of had like a, like a 15th conversion experience with this. And, and it's been really significant for me to just say, you know what? Faith in Jesus is not a private thing. It's not something that we do in private, and it's not something that we do alone. Following Jesus as a team sport that is done in public. And so the challenge that I want to give to you is to say, hear me. When you look at what you hope in, and when you look at what is significant to you, Jesus is what you hope in. Jesus is what is significant to you. Your life betrays that. Your obligations betray that in a good way. You love Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords of your life. And that's true of me as well. And when we hold up to the mirror to that, I would just say, listen to me. Following Jesus is something that we do together and that we do in public. And if people aren't okay with that, they're not okay with that. I told the first service, I'll tell you this too. Most of this is new stuff just for you guys. Um, I'm serious. It's good. This is, this is the best one I've done. <laughs> I can, you know, I can be objective. I don't even remember what I told them. I can't tell you now. <sighs> oh, well. What did I say? Okay, it doesn't matter. Um, you can check the video. The, thi- the thing that I want to get to you, though, is that this, this way that God loves us and the way, this way that God has shaped us is something that God wants us to do out in public. And so the best way that we can practice our faith in Jesus is on Monday. Because on Monday, somebody is going to ask you, what did you do this weekend? And I am challenging you to just be honest. Tell them the truth. When they ask you, are you afraid of the future? Are you afraid of this recession potential? Are you afraid of inflation? Are you worried about your 401k and what's going to happen in your future? You could say, you know what? That's a concern to me. But to be totally honest with you, I have a hope in Jesus that, that colors all of that for me in a really beautiful way. So that when I fill out my applications for whether or not I get into college, and if I don't get into the school that I want to get into, you know what? I just, I trust God for my future in a way that is comforting and reassuring for me no matter what happens in my present. Yes, I'm embarrassed about what I did in my past, but you know what I believe about my past is that God has washed me white as snow and that I'm clean now. And so, yeah, I don't love to talk about it, but I will talk about it because if I talk about how dumb I was back here, then I can talk about how great God's goodness and mercy has been to me over here, and then I can point to the cross. See, I did it right. I would love, this is what I said to them, I would love to come back to you a year from now and have Aaron go, you know what? They're just talking about Jesus all the time, and it's a problem because... Because when they talk about Jesus, they just, they're never gentle. They're just so pushy with it. And they're, they're so disrespectful. We get complaints all the time. We had the police chief over. And he was just like, listen, I can't arrest them for this. But it is, I mean, it's making it an uncomfortable, disrespectful place to live. Because of the way these people are talking to their neighbors about Jesus. I would love to have that conversation with you. Sounds like Peter is having that conversation with these people. 
But what I'm saying to you, and more than that, what I'm saying to myself is, I have been too concerned with gentleness, and I have been too concerned with respect, and I've been too concerned with my private faith that I haven't given people a reason for the hope that I genuinely have. So I want to I encourage you and I want to challenge you to give people the reason. Yeah, I went to church on Sunday. It was awesome. The sermon was fantastic. <laughs> you know what? I heard this lyric in this song that I had to write down because it was so powerful. Do you ever hear a lyric in a song that encourages you so deeply about who you are that you have to write it down and your friend is going, what kind of music do you listen to? Taylor Swift never talks to me like that. I mean, she talks to me like that, but. Uh, <laughs> what would it look like if you, just, if you just showed your work? I'm doing a lot of third grade math with my son. What if you just showed your work and then let people see the reason for the hope that you have? In the last few minutes um, that I have, I want to talk about how we shake the can and how we agitate that faith. A lot of this stuff comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. There are six components of this. It's not at all rocket science. If, you, if you're following along or you want to take notes or you want to do some homework with me, you could read 1 Peter chapter 1 and you could write down these six things and you would find them. The references are going to be behind me, probably on the screen, although I've made a covenant with the, the, the guy in the back that I won't. Um, I won't reference to anything because, but see, he's awesome. I can see it there and there. Anyway, um, so the things are, the six things are praise, faith that leads to joy, being a student of the story, living set apart, living in reverent fear, and loving one another deeply. These six things, if you do them in your life, will agitate the can of hope that is deep in your heart and they will just, it, it'll explode into the world. And when you decide that that explosion of faith into the world isn't a private thing to be embarrassed about and to cover up and to clean up, but is instead a part of God's design, then you will behave differently in the world and the world around you will be better for it. So the first is praise. I'm going to read this one because I love it. And we're about to sing. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. For thousands of years, people have worried about their distant future. Except for Peter and these followers of Jesus don't because God has taken care of that for them. And because of Jesus, God is greatly to be praised. I, I haven't always been a big worship guy, a big singing music guy. Um, I was, this was a part of my private faith and just, I don't know. But I would like sit down or sit on my hands or stand up and not sing aloud um, my son is like this in choir. He told me, Dad, you don't have to sing. You can just move your mouth and you don't need to make any words come out. And the teacher can't tell. I said, well, that's genius. Good for you. <laughs> I want to challenge you. If you want to shake the can of hope, sing out loud. Not, not for the person next to you or the person in front of you, although you probably have a better voice than you think that you do. Do it for yourself. Do it because you believe it. 
you believe that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, sing out loud. Give him the praise that he deserves. The next is to be, uh, is faith that leads to joy. First Peter um, 1 verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. One thing that I think we think about faith is that it's this alternative to fact and to proof and it's this sort of wishful thinking. But here, what Peter is describing is faith is relational trust. We believe the story of Jesus' death and resurrection that has been passed down to us. And you can just see it like a baton. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And all the way back to Peter himself and all the way back to the ladies who ran from the empty tomb to tell the other followers of Jesus. Something miraculous has happened and we can have faith that leads to joy. The next is to be a student of the story. That's why we're here in this room. We're being students of the story right now. We're believing that there's a a big story that God started to tell at the creation of the world that has its climax in the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and that we actually get to be a part of how it is lived out in the same way that Peter and the early church were a part of that. So if you want to agitate the can of hope, be a student of the story that God has been telling and that he continues to tell in the world. Next is to live set apart. Holy here isn't better than, rather it is other than. When 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 talks about living holy lives because God is holy, they're saying God is set apart. He has set us apart as his followers and so he wants us to live other than, not as though we are better than. What I would say to you is that other always has an on-ramp. One of my favorite pictures for this is that group of four chairs over there in the corner by the window because there's always a place where you could pull up another chair. There's always a place where you could pull up another chair and join in and that's what being set apart for Jesus practically looks like in your life. I'm not saying that you always have to set an extra seat at your table. I'm not saying that if you have five people in your family, now you need to buy a minivan so that you can always pick somebody up and take them along for the ride. I'm just saying that there's always room at Jesus's table. Other than doesn't mean better than, and other than always has an on-ramp. And this, this lobby environment that's created by you and the other people on the team at the Highlands creating that on-ramp for people is an amazing picture of what it looks like to live set apart toward other people. And then I want to say that it also means living here in reverent fear. 1 Peter 3 verses 17 through 21 points the Christian to a life that is God aware. That leads us to deep, solemn respect, to awe, to submission. We need to be people who live here in this moment of human history, aware of the reality that God is at work, that God is still at work, that he has been, and that he continues to be at work in our world. And then finally, if you want to agitate the can of hope, love one another 
deeply. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25, and all kinds of other places in both the Old Testament and the New Testament believe the way that the people of God are toward one another will agitate that can of hope in, in a way that desperately shapes a watching world. That that meets longings and needs in a way that nothing else possibly could. So he says to them, love one another deeply in the way that God has loved us, in the way that God has sacrificed for us, in the way that Jesus has served us, in the way that, you know, the, the, the best marriage metaphor in Scripture is Jesus, excuse me, is Paul telling husbands to die for their wives because Jesus would die for the church. You want to be a testament of hope and you want to agitate that can of hope in your life, love and serve and sacrifice for one another. And then when you're living this different life and as the hope is literally bubbling up outside of you, I would go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. You have a hope. It's inside of you. It's bubbling up to overflowing. Just be ready to share it. I'm going to give myself one extra minute. The band can come out. I want to talk to you about these things that I, they gave you. Um, one is kind of a, a script for how to talk to people about your relationship with Jesus. When I was a kid, I didn't feel like I had a great script. So I want to give you what I think is a pretty good script. It's three circles and three arrows that you can use to talk to people about the reality that God has designed the world a certain way, that it is broken because of sin, and that in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what has been broken and torn apart gets mended and made new through Jesus. And I think it is so important. I'm not in charge of the staff here at the Highlands, but I am at Mercy Hill, and I'm, so I'm making them memorize it. And I'm not in charge of your family, but I am in charge of my family, and so I'm making them memorize it. You would not believe the size of the eye roll I got for my 10-year-old daughter. It was delicious. But I want her to have this. And if I was in charge of you, or I was in charge of your family, or I was in charge of your staff, I would make you memorize this. Not for something that you have to do to earn God's love, but so that your hope could continue to bubble up for overflowing. Because there's nothing like telling somebody for the first time about who Jesus is. But it's not a work that you do on your own. It's something that God really does. And so that's where this second card is from. And it's an opportunity to just write down the name of five people that you will be praying for and you will believe, be believing that God will give you an opportunity to share the hope that you have. So this is an opportunity between you and God to write down five names and to, and to make a covenant with God and to say, I believe that you have given me a hope that's worth sharing. And these are five people that I know that need that hope. The last thing that I'll say is, I think there are people that God hasn't put on the shelf, but you've put on the shelf, that I've put on the shelf. That we've said, no way, never would they start to follow Jesus. So God, I'm not going to waste your time. And God would look at you and God would look at me and God would look at Peter and God would look at all of those names and he would say, they are not a waste of my time. They're not a waste of your time. So make sure that you're not just picking the names of people you think might be convinced, but instead pick the names of people that God puts on your heart 
We got a little trickeration going here with the piano, but that's okay. Let, it's okay. It's worth it. Let God work in your heart in this moment to remind you that you have a hope and that you have a hope worth sharing and that there's no one that God has taken off the table. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this amazing community of people. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the way that they have gotten caught up in your story. Thank you for the hope that you have given them individually and collectively. Thank you, God, that this building is a symbol that they want the hope that they have in you to be visible from all kinds of different angles and all kinds of different places. That they want people to be able to see into this building because they want them to be able to see into your great love for them. God, we worship you and we thank you for finding us. Thank you for sweeping us up into your story and making us a part of it and getting the chance to share it. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you stay with us?